Good afternoon and welcome to our show, We're Talking Golf. My name is Douglas Mehta and I'm your host. Joining us today is also our co-host, Cheyenne Gustosp. How are you, Cheyenne? Hey, Douglas. I'm good. Good. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Today's show is being recorded from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We're produced by the World of Golf, and you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.worldofgolf.org or on our social media channels of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now on LinkedIn. For those of you in Asia and elsewhere, you can follow us on Weibo and WeChat. Now, before we get into today's show, I'd like to welcome you, our listeners and followers from around the world that listen to our show. For without you and your support, we would not be able to bring you this show. So thank you again for all of your listeners and downloading. Our guest today is going to be Ina Kim Shad. She's the 2019 U.S. Women's Mid-Amateur Champion, and she's a mental performance coach now working with Dr. Gio Valiente. But before we get to our guest, we have a brief message from our producer. You're listening to our podcast show, We're Talking Golf. Our show is produced by the World of Golf. You can find us on the web at www.worldofgolf.org. The World of Golf is an independent digital media company. You can find our podcast show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Now back to our show. Here are your co-hosts, Douglas and Cheyenne, with their special guest. We're back. Thank you for staying with us. Now let's get right to our guest. Ina Kim Shad is the 2019 U.S. Women's Mid-Amateur Champion. She's a former collegiate player, having played for Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. She is now a mental performance coach with Dr. Gio Valiente. Many of you will know Dr. Gio from his many appearances on the Golf Channel. She's joining us live via Zoom from New York. Welcome to the show, Ina. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be on here. Our pleasure. And um, so, Ina, why don't you um, start with a little bit about uh, how things are with you right now? You've been a busy person for the last couple of, well, since I've seen you on Instagram and all the work you're doing with regards to coaching <laughs> and traveling around, meeting players in various tournaments, you got a little bit of a break now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a short break of two weeks. My sister just had a baby, so I get to go visit my family for the first time uh, since kind of the very beginning. Thank Congrats. you of quarantine. So um, I'm really excited. Uh, so it's nice to have a little bit of downtime. But, um, you know, I think all of us kind of workaholics, we just love um, having things to do and being busy. Uh, so this is a little bit tough for me, if anything, um, <laughs> uh, but I, but I am making the most of it. Uh, I'm enjoying time with my family, the dogs, um, eating a lot, you know, reading a lot, the usual quarantine activities. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, Ina, let's talk a little bit about your journey in golf and how you originally came to be into this position. I understand you grew up in LA, you played some golf. You were involved in junior golf, all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was super lucky. Um, uh, my parents just loved golf and we were kind of just in the beginning of when, um, right before golf really took off my sister and I, uh, so my parents kind of took us when we were young, maybe five or six, um, and started 
getting us into golf because that's what they wanted to do on the weekends, frankly. Uh, so they would drag us along and we would have fun driving the carts and whatnot. And uh, pretty soon we found ourselves in lessons and then, um, you know, we were playing in tournaments, but like I said, I mean, just that era kind of in the, in the late eighties um, and early nineties, it was really kind of right before golf took that huge run. Um, so we were really lucky timing wise to have already been interested. And then, you know, the era of tiger, the era of Sari, um, and even locally in California, you know, first of all, we're able to play 365 days a year, which is amazing. Mm. And secondly, um, you know, the, the, area that I grew up in and my golf coach, uh, my childhood golf coach, you know, he taught Kevin Na, he taught Tedo. Um, and in junior golf in LA, it was, you were just surrounded by these phenoms. So it was just a really great time to grow up. Um, and I don't know if you guys have read this book called the talent code by, by Dan Coyle, but he talks about this as a phenomenon called ignition. And it really is, you know, it's like what Sari Pack did for women's golf, what Tiger, what Tiger did for, you know, all golf, um, and, you know, Maria Sharapova for tennis in Russia, it's, it's, it's seeing somebody, you know, who, who did it that you never thought. And then it kind of allows you to unleash, you know, your full potential. Um, so it's kind of a really cool, I guess, you know, in retrospect thing that, that I can look upon and say, yeah, you know, I think that's probably what happened to me. I was just at the right place, at the right time and had the right parents and all of that. So I was very lucky. I understand you had a little bit of a distinguished junior career as well, Lena. <laughs> I did. Um, I was lucky enough to um, make it to the finals in the U.S. Junior Girls, um, I believe my junior year of uh, school, of high school. Um, and I won a number of AJGA tournaments and I got to play in the Junior Ryder Cup, which was amazing. So I really, I was super lucky. Um, and again, I had my sister who was 13 months older as a role model. And um, I just was in a really great group of kind of um, really uh, talented and hardworking, you know, young people around me. Um, so it was just a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's chat a little bit about how you went from junior golf to college. You had a career playing at, uh, Northwestern university. I understand you were the captain of your team at one point. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was wonderful. Um, somehow I got talked into going to the coldest climate ever to, uh, to play golf, but, um, it was just such a wonderful experience. And for me, it was such the right choice because I, um, going into college, frankly, I knew that I wanted to have um, my academics be a priority for me. Uh, so that's kind of why I chose a college that had a great golf program, but phenomenal, um, academics. And now they're one of the best golf programs around as well. So, um, uh, just, I got really lucky there. Uh, and I kind of knew that when I graduated, I would most likely, you know, put my golf clubs away and start focusing on a career, which is what I ended up doing. So, um, it all worked out great. <laughs> Can you kind of talk about to the younger audience, the importance of, um, yeah, you could be a great golfer, but if your grades aren't up to par being eligible to go to these really big universities, um, potentially could not be an option. And then what did you study in school? Like, how did you know what you want? How did you balance the playing golf? And then also, cause that's a pretty hard university to get into and to keep your yeah, grades quite I mean, high. I, I think that it's funny. I, I actually have faith that so many student athletes, even in junior high and high school, you know, we have this aptitude and ability to really challenge ourselves and manage our time well, because you, you kind of are forced to, right? Just by the sheer nature of golf being such a time suck. Um, so you're in school from what, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then you go straight to the driving range or golf course or whatever, and then you practice. And then you've got to just budget your time so efficiently 
So I, I really think that we're, we're lucky in a way that um, golf forces us to do that from when we're little because of how time consuming it is by nature. Um, so by the time you get to college, you kind of have a lot of that time management and it really is just um, planning ahead, uh, knowing your own propensities, you know, of whether you like to procrastinate a lot or whether you'll get everything done so that you can go party or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think it's just, yeah. you know, you can't force yourself to do stuff that you really, really don't want to or is not in your nature. But if you can plan ahead and get things done so that if you do say want to go to a party or something, then that's fine that, you know, nobody's going to crush you for that. But um, just trying to be kind of realistic with how you manage your time um, and expectations, I think is the best way. But um, I do think there's a funny thing about people who are productive. Um, the busier they are, they're actually more productive in a strange way. So they're, you know, running around like crazy people. Mm -hmm. And it's like when they have all this time, they actually produce less than when they're actually busy. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, mm -hmm. but, um, I, I would challenge, you know, these, these young kids who are, uh, maybe intimidated or overwhelmed to, you know, what, put themselves in that position and see how productive they will be. And they'll really amaze themselves. And then I think a follow-up to that is I'm hearing a lot more that young girls are dropping out of golf between like ages of 10 to 14, um, and they're feeling like golf is not a team sport. So what can you say to playing in a university? How do you still stay in touch with your teammates? And like, how can you kind of let the young girl know that even though it's an individual sport, when you're playing in college, it very much could be a team yeah, sport Yeah, absolutely. Well. It's it's kind of one of those weird sports. There are, I wouldn't say there are many like golf, um, but uh, I was lucky enough to play on a high school team and then in college. So I kind of got the team aspect of both. And even in junior golf, you know, we had a lot of um, events like the, the Cannon Cup, which I think is now, what is it called? The Wyndham Cup, uh, East Coast versus West Coast. And um, and then again, the, the Ryder Cup and things like that. So the team events are the best because you don't often get to do them. Um, and then when you get in college, you kind of have an automatic group of, you know, between eight and 12 women that are your advocates, that are your best friends, that are your, um, you know, another set of eyes, um, a shoulder to cry on, you know, whatever, whatever you may, may need. Um, so I just think, I think college sports are just wonderful. Um, the team dynamics, you know, as in everything, when you put 12 girls together, there can be issues too, but it ebbs and flows. And I just think as with all friendships, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful, thing to have and to grow into, um, over the course of four years as players come and go and you get new freshmen and graduating seniors and all that. So, um, and yeah, I absolutely keep in touch with a lot of my friends from both junior golf and college golf. Um, so I'm very lucky in that sense. And that's even after, you know, taking an 11 year hiatus. So, um, golf is a very, very strong bond and we're all very lucky to, to love a sport such as this. Great. So, you know, you went from golf to leaving golf and a successful career. Was that a tough decision to make or how did you come about rationalizing that decision or, or being in a position to make that decision? Yeah. I, uh, for me, it wasn't a super difficult decision to be honest. Um, only because, uh, my sister actually was playing professionally on the LPGA when I, uh, graduated college. So we kind of had one already doing that in the family and I figured ah, I'll just get the stable job and be, you know, I have that and I can, I can play golf later in my life. And, you know, when I retire was what I thought. Um, and so, uh, I was, I was just so excited to see what else was out there. Cause I've been playing golf for so long. Um, and I wanted to see what else I could do with my life. And then 
golf. How did you come back to golf? Can you share a little bit about your journey, how you rediscovered your passion <laughs> for golf and playing golf? And yeah, it's pretty funny. So I was, um, I was actually living abroad um, and working in London at the time uh, around maybe 2013 or so. Um, and I met my now husband then uh, at a golf outing, which I kind of did maybe once a year, if that. So it was a total freak accident that I met him. Um, and then we ended up just becoming friends over the years, over the course of a few years. And then I, um, we kind of started dating in maybe 2015 or 2016. Um, and I eventually moved to New York in 27. No, no, no. Hold on. I moved to New York in 2015. I'm sorry. Um, and that's when he and I were together. Um, and he got me into golf because that's what he wanted to do on the weekends. <laughs> like, come on, let's go play golf. I was like, all right, let's ah. go. Um, and eventually. So is he American or is he from? No, no, no. He's actually UK? American. He's, he's, he's from Rhinebeck, New York, which okay, is where right. I am right now. And I met, him, met in him in London, yeah, and he moved back to New York, um, and I actually moved to Hong Kong, and then we started dating eventually, long distance, and then I moved to New York. <laughs> and is this all the most because yes, of yeah, your I work? moved around for work exactly. What was it that you were doing? Uh, I was working in finance. Um, I was specifically, I was mostly trading uh, securities, lending, equities, um, and then I did a little bit uh, of total return swaps a few years later. So. Wow. All right. Now you're back in New York and you're starting to play golf again. And then you play a little bit of competitive golf and you find yourself the 2019 U.S. Women's Mid-Amateur Champion. <laughs> How did that yeah. all come about, Ina? I mean, when you came back to start playing golf, was that even on your mind as a goal? Uh, not necessarily. So when I, I actually quit my job in New York in 2016, uh, and then that's when I all of a sudden found myself with all this time and I kind of figured I'd quit and then I'd take maybe a year or two off and probably go back into finance was what I was thinking. So, um, I just kind of embraced my free time and I signed up for a bunch of tournaments and I started just doing, you know, all sorts of random hobbies. Um, and I went out and won my first tournament. <laughs> Uh, which happened to be at Atlantic uh, in the Hamptons. So beautiful venue, obviously. Um, and uh, I guess I kind of got the, the golf bug pretty soon after that. So, um, you know, kept playing in more tournaments. And then, you know, in 2019, four years later, I'm still playing golf, <laughs> still playing competitive golf, and I'm just loving it. But um, yeah, the, I would say the mid-am um, kind of evolved uh, after probably two years um, of playing uh, golf again and playing in the U.S. amateur, playing in the mid-am um, and playing in a bunch of high-level tournaments, I, I kind of realized, you know what, I, I actually think I could I could go and win the mid-am. I think that's a real possibility for me. So um, it, it evolved into a goal over the course of a couple of years. Did it kind of take you back to the college days of the grind of, you know, getting back your skills or did it just come back quite naturally to you? You know, the um, the physical skills actually came back quicker than I thought, obviously minus a lot of the finesse shots, but, um, the physical skills came back pretty quick, but what I found myself in was I kind of, I, I term it, you know, kind of arrested development jokingly, but, but really I, uh, when I quit golf at 2021, um, I kind of, when I picked it back up in my thirties, I was, would go back revert to my, you know, 20 year old self, um, in terms of just like how I would react to getting frustrated with a game or, you know, um, just different kind of things. And I, I found myself putting so much pressure, um, and, and just really not enjoying it after a little while. Um, and so that's kind of how 
my relationship with golf evolved was that I started playing, I was playing well. Um, but then I realized that I, the more, um, you know, the better I played, the more pressure I started putting on myself. And then I became a little more unhappy. Mm. Um, and I wasn't enjoying the game as much. And it was like, it went into kind of a downward spiral. And I was like, well, this is not what I, why I'm playing golf. I'm playing golf because I, I love it. And I really had to, um, take a long look in the mirror and kind of, uh, evaluate what I was doing, why I was doing this all. Um, and then, uh, that kind of, that journey led me eventually to, to seek out, uh, Dr. Gio's help. Um, and then he and I obviously, uh, formed a really, really strong bond and he's been an amazing, um, coach, mentor, friend, um, you know, all of the above. And he really helped me get over those mental hurdles and kind of develop myself, um, into the 30 something year old <laughs> person that I was not, not the 20 year old, uh, version of myself. So, um, that was, that was really a big, um, a big change for me. Um, and, and, you know, if I hadn't gone through the bad part of it, I wouldn't have come out the for other sure, side. Into the for game. Sure. So if you had to put like great. a percentage, if you could on, um, how much you think now golf is mental than when you were like a younger kid where you just thought, Oh, I just have to keep practicing and practicing, but not realizing, you know, the mental aspect of choking the yips, all that kind of stuff kind of comes out. Um, would, what percentage would you give to somebody that's never tried the game? So I would say, uh, you know, I actually think it changes it, it ebbs and flows over time, but, but I honestly think the mental game has got to be at least 70 to 90% of the game. I mean, especially when you get into kind of the upper echelon, you know, everybody who's in the plus handicap zone, like you all have the physical, you can all do it. Play, yeah. You know, exactly. But, but what really separates, you know, the, the, the guys who are winning and the guys who are missing the cuts, it's not their physical game at all. It's what's between the ears and what's going on in their self-talk and all of that kind of stuff. So um, that's, that's really what's what the fascinating part is. Um, it's funny. You look at junior golfers and they do the same, but it's in a much less amplified um, version of it for the most part. Um, and they don't have as much scar tissue as, you know, adults do, um, or professionals for that matter, who've been playing for so many years and they have so much writing on it. Um, so that's why I kind of use that, that larger band of percentage, sure. but yeah, I mean, it, it is a very huge component of, of golf for sure. And then from your point of view, do you find it interesting that most golfers are usually hitting the driving like all like even when you were a kid, for example, usually you're the driving range, you're practicing, it's all the physical aspect of it, but no one really is at a very young age teaching the younger kids. Well, now maybe so more, but like maybe not when you were younger, the mental of because if you're saying it's 70%, that is a big part that you should be doing driving range and the mental activity, kind of balancing it kind of out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, today we're so lucky that we have all this technology and things like mindfulness yeah. is an actual term <laughs> that everybody knows and embraces, you yeah. know, like we talked about in the eighties and nineties, like people look at you like Crazy. you're a full hippie freak, right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, so I think that actually, you know, kids have some awareness of, of what that is, but I also think, you know, on the converse side of that, you also have, um, so much, you know, quick stimulation with your iPhones and your iPads and, and everything else. And so kids don't have that attention. And so they're more forced into being, um, focusing more on mindfulness, um, because they have to, um, so it's kind of good and bad, right? Uh, mm. I think society's wired us more now to be a little bit more ADD than we would have For been. Sure. And then it's like, oh yeah, but then be mindful. <laughs> so it's kind of a strange juxtaposition, but, um, 
But yeah, I, I, I do think that it is an important part that if kids can start learning from when they're younger, um, how to quiet their minds, how to focus in on the present um, and be present. I think that's all amazing skills that you can only build um, and get better at as, at as you get older. So yeah, fantastic if, if kids could do that now. So Ina, you mentioned, uh, if I understand correctly and I heard correctly, you first came to meet Dr. Gio when you were playing. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, he had, um, you know, we have a bunch of friends in common and, and he'd been working with a couple of my friends who, who had spoken very highly of him. So we ended up, uh, you know, we met him a few times just, you know, in friendly, um, kind of circles, but, um, and we ended up hiring him, um, as my mental coach, uh, to help me through some of the troubles I'd been going through. And as I referred to earlier, mainly it was, um, that I was putting so much pressure on myself, uh, and that I wasn't enjoying the game as much as I had because of the pressure. Um, and then, you know, I also have kind of over control issues when it comes to, to, to golf, um, particularly with my short game. So we worked on, on those things mostly. Um, and that's specific to me, but I think everybody, you know, um, struggles a little bit, uh, with, with this kind of, um, what, what Dr. Geo calls mastery versus ego, um, you know, playing for yourself for the love of the game, um, you know, versus playing for bragging rights or to show off your plus handicap or, you know, to win a lot of money. Um, those are all kind of ego driven, driven things. And it's really trying to return to, you know, the very basic fact of you love the game and and why, um, you love the game. So trying to return to the, the roots of that. And how was it that you made the transition into being the player student, if you will, into becoming a coach yourself? Yeah, uh, I would say it was kind of uh, dumb luck, you know, a little bit fortuitous. So uh, Dr. Gio um, had really, um, obviously, he's had so much success, um, uh, you know, in, in all kind of uh, arenas, but um, he had been in finance for the last few years and he really missed golf, but he was stretched so thin. He really didn't have a lot of time to deal. You know, he was turning away PGA professionals um, and just because he didn't have the bandwidth. So uh, he had always kind of thought that he wanted um, an apprentice uh, and you know, he and I just, we became really good friends. And so it just kind of evolved into that, <laughs> um, which I am so thankful for, and I'm very lucky. Um, but yeah, just, uh, we're just kind of trying to figure out a way that we can, you know, make his magic go further because he just can't physically reach as many people as he'd like to. And, you know, we both love helping people so much. Um, but it's, you know, as you know, this business, it's not, this one-on-one type of mental coaching, it's, it's really not super scalable. Um, so, so we just need more bandwidth. That's all. (laughs) Um, do you think the stuff that you've learned is transferable to your day-to-day life? Absolutely. Uh, it's funny. There's even little things like just small habits, you know, making your bed in the morning and, and just, you know, when you're making coffee, like doing so mindlessly versus, you know, really enjoying that cup of coffee that you took, you know, a few minutes to make, it's just little, little things that I think it just helps you have a lot more appreciation and really to be present for the appreciation or disdain for that matter. Right? Yeah. If I really dislike the burnt toast Absolutely. that you made or whatever, yeah. but, <laughs> um, I, I think that it definitely bleeds into a lot of, uh, different parts of your life in a good way. For sure. So you're, Professional title is mental performance coach. Is that correct? Right. Okay. That's correct. So how does something like myself who say an amateur recreational golfer, or if you're a little bit more of a serious player wanting to uh, 
improve your your skills and things of that nature. Not necessarily. When I say skills, I mean it in an all-encompassing manner, not just your physical encore skills, but your mental skills as well. So how does somebody uh, approach a mental performance coach and how does a mental performance coach um, start to work with players? Right. So I don't know um, how different uh, other other mental coaches go about their kind of business models, but um, I can specifically say for Dr. Gio and I, um, pretty much every single student that we have, uh, whether they're a PGA professional, a PGA professional, or, you know, an amateur or a, you know, CEO or whatever, they all pretty much go through the same first one day introductory program, which is the Fearless Golf Academy. And it's a one day pretty comprehensive um, half and half uh, classroom and then onto the golf course slash range after where we kind of uh, put into action what we taught them on paper um, and in theory and we kind of illustrate how to put that into, into real world action on the golf course. Um, so pretty much all of his players, you know, Justin Leonard, Matt Kuchar, Davis Love, like all these guys have gone through this process. And it's really uh, the best, most efficient way that we can deliver the most meat in terms of information, because it really is a lot of um, kind of classroom work and, but in a good way, we make it interesting <laughs> and fun. Uh, so, um, yeah, all our players go through that. And then afterwards it's developing kind of the, all right, what do you find your tendencies are? And let's work on those more specifically and kind of hone in, um, once you kind of get the underlying theories, because it really is more of a philosophy, uh, that Dr. Geo has, um, over, you know, his course of, um, you know, 25 plus years of, of doctorate work in, in research and, and working with these professionals. So, um, it's a lot of that kind of condensed into really a, a philosophy on the golf course and off. So if somebody wanted to, you know, get on board, they would have to come to New York or is there some parts of no. it that you, cause you're saying there's a learning part of the golf parts, or is there some parts where you can do it online through you guys or right. So it's actually online. Um, if you go to our website, www.fearlessgolf.com, um, we actually have two options. So you can do one in person uh, in Winter Park, Florida, where Dr. Geo is based, um, or you can do it online. We have Zoom versions of it, which we actually, it's funny, we rolled out the Zoom version, uh, the remote version before the pandemic. Nice. And it kind of worked out that, yeah, <laughs> that we could do it during the pandemic. So we got kind of lucky. But um, but yeah, the 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 online version has actually been going really smoothly and we just, you know, get people to get tripods and do like a FaceTime, uh, for the, for the post-classroom session. And it's worked really smoothly and, and people get the same results. So it's been really great. And it's just like a one time, one day condensed session, like you said, or is it kind of broken out into a few days to see progress? Right. So, so typically the classroom, um, the class, well, the one day Academy is one day, and then we'll typically have a couple follow-ups with the, with the client, um, to, to kind of see and address any issues that might've come up, um, as they had kind of tried to include a lot of the new philosophy into their playing or practice. Got it. So Ina, is this, this sounds like it's very high performance based. Um, do, is there an application or the ability for say a more recreational player or an aspiring junior player to be able to benefit from this type of program? And, and how does that kind of work? Absolutely. We have, you know, we have clients come to us who are, you know, maybe 25 handicaps and their goals are to get to a, a single, single digit handicap or something like that. We have junior golfers, we have retirees, we have, you know, everything, but, um, obviously we, we, um, and we have PGA players and LPGA and all that, but, um, yeah, we, 
our clients really run the gamut. So I think everybody can benefit if they love the game and they want to get better and enjoy the game more. <laughs> um, I think that that is really what we can do for them. Um, and, you know, I think that it's funny with, with humans, we don't see ourselves accurately. You know, if you look at even poker players these days, they've, you know, who are the most secretive of, of all sports, right. They even have created rings um, amongst each other where they say, Hey, I don't see myself accurately and you don't see yourself accurately. So why don't we team up and I'll tell you your faults. You tell me my faults and we'll kind of like split the money or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think that people are more accepting now that, Hey, I, I don't really see myself clearly. What I think of myself is probably different than what other people see. And so a lot of these people just want and need, uh, extra eyes on them to say, Hey, you know, you think that you're a bad ball striker, but you're actually a really good ball right. striker where your leakage is, is, you know, your short game, you're, you're spending no time practicing or, um, you know, whatever, what, what have you, um, different scenarios for different people. But, um, ultimately I think, um, having a good team around you, whether it's your, your physical golf swing coach or, um, a mental coach, or, you know, even your, uh, you know, fitness instructor, whatever, having all those extra eyes. That's why these, these, pros have these, you know, teams around them. It's to have these extra eyes because we never see ourselves accurately, myself included. I don't see myself accurately. <laughs> you know, is there some tips maybe, um, I know you probably get asked this all the time when people bump into you on the course or on the range or something, but is there some sort of tips that you could uh, maybe share with somebody or golfers right now, just to help get them thinking about their mental approach to golf? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing, at least for me, my biggest takeaway through the whole process was just to ultimately remember, you know, why you're there. You're there to enjoy the game. You're not there to get upset that you miss that birdie putt or that you, you hit a slice into the water or whatever, right. You're, you're there to enjoy yourself. So don't not enjoy it. Right. Every, every challenge that the game brings you try and accept it and view it as something that is going to teach you something in the future rather than you know, something bad and negative. Um, and I think that will allow you to, uh, really fully enjoy the game a bit more, um, and free you up, uh, on the course. Um, because golf is just such a tough game and it, um, it really just, it bullies you into, uh, into a lot of, you know, corners, um, and you can't let it right. For sure. Right. Right. I'm playing. I have a group of guys that we play with. We're somewhat competitive, but it's not really it's about having fun and supporting each other to play well, but by the same token, you want to, you feel the pressure of wanting to play your best. I come to the 18th tee. I'm leading the group by a stroke and I'm nervous as heck standing on that 18th tee. What are some tips that I might be mindful of or, or keep in the back of my mind as to how I should come up and approach myself on that situation? Right. So those nerves and we all feel them and it's totally natural and it's okay. Um, it's, it's, a natural part of the process. And that just means that you care, which is great. Um, but you know, I think if you can try to remember to play against yourself and, you know, the golf course architect, whether it's Tom Doak or Pete Dye or Jack Nicholas, or, you know, what have you, um, it really it's you versus yourself and the course, that's it. It doesn't matter what your competitors are doing because you start playing the competitors and your emotional roller coaster profile looks exactly like theirs, not your own. Mm. Right. So you're going to live and die by their shots. That's not good. Right. You don't have control over their shots, but you have control over your own. So you really, um, you know, I guess that's a twofold answer. Uh, I think if you can try and play within yourself at all times and really 
react with curiosity because, you know, you hit a bad shot and you're just playing against yourself and Pete die. You don't get upset. You say, Oh, all right, Pete die. I see what you did there with that nasty bunker. You got me this time, but I'm going to get you next time. That's a completely different way of reacting than, ah, crap. I hit it in the bunker and you know, that was a terrible swing. And then you go down this, you know, technical rabbit hole when your swing was fine. It's just a bad, bad swing. That's fine. That happens. You can't play a whole entire round and not expect to have a single bad swing. Um, so really I think it, it, it's this positive kind of tailspin into, all right, well, I'm going to react with curiosity instead of anger. And then when I react with curiosity, it gets you more, more into the, into the golf course and into the architect. And then there's not that negative, you know, repercussion of, you know, questioning everything and, and kind of reinventing the wheel of your swing while you're in the middle of a golf course. I love <laughs> so, that playing the architect. Hmm. Absolutely. I've never heard of that way. I guess I have one too, but I'm kind of going back to your finance days. I'm, I'm really passionate about, um, women in the corporate world, learning the game of golf. Um, because I have been in the corporate world as well. Now I teach but before I used to work for tons of like professional sports teams. And I used to insert myself into charity golf tournaments and closing business deals on the course and things. So just from your experience in working in finance, did you ever have opportunity or create opportunities to take your clients onto the golf course to maybe perhaps close a deal or to network or whatever the case was? So if I'm perfectly honest, I didn't get to play that much golf <laughs> from, uh, from my job because I was in trading. So I was pretty much uh, stuck right. to my trading desk during trading hours. So it wasn't, it wasn't one of those jobs where I could leave for, you know, six hours, uh, during in the middle of the day. And, and, you know, my work would be there when I got back, it was, it was, you know, market open and market close. Um, so unfortunately I didn't get to do a ton of that, but I definitely would say there was that benefit of, you know, being able to walk into a room and somebody said, Oh, that's, that's the girl that plays golf you know, so you had this kind of like notoriety, I guess, uh, in a way. And you knew if you had to go to a golf course and, um, for, you know, the occasional corporate outing, which I did have to do, or, you know, I got to do rather not have to, uh, that I got to do, um, then that was always super fun. And, um, it's nice to be able to be natural and be on the course and be able to handle yourself and, um, not get nervous and all that kind of stuff. So that would highly recommend it to, to all women who are even remotely interested I think it's never a bad thing, never a bad skill to learn um, because there are a lot of, uh, you know, jobs that, that do close deals on the golf course. So great. Yeah. Terrific. Um, one last question for you while I have you, Ina, you started off by describing the program that, uh, at fearless golf by having an, uh, an online component that everybody kind of goes through to have a bit of a grounding in mental performance coaching and, and the aspects after that, how, how often would it be that you have a more individualized focus with your clients or is it kind of like, here's your curriculum. I think you were saying it doesn't have a curriculum, that cookie cutter approach. It's more right. an individual focus. So how would you, you know, can you maybe yeah, explain it, that a little bit more? Absolutely. It, it, it absolutely depends on the individual. A lot of people are super high touch and they want check-ins, you know, every other day. And, uh, they really like having eyes on them and all the time, and they like talking and bantering about what's going on. Um, and some people, they just like doing the Academy and having a couple check-ins and then they're kind of MIA for six months. They'll be like, Oh, you know what? I have a tournament coming up. Can we check in? And that's cool too. So, um, it really depends on the person and their personality. You know, there's 
people who are serial golf coach people, they take lessons every single week, three times a week. And then there are some people who just take lessons once every couple months. Right. So it, it, it just depends. It runs the gamut and, and we're just there to support our clients. So whatever they need, uh, we, we try and accommodate. So one last thing again, I know you gave the website address out, but how does one want to, if one wants to do this, how would they connect with you, Ina? What's the best uh, way? So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the fearlessgolf.com is probably the easiest if they want to book, but if they have questions, they can absolutely, uh, find me directly, um, on fearless golf coach on Instagram. Um, and I will answer whatever questions they may have through that. So it's fearless golf coach on Instagram or www.fearlessgolf.com on the internet. The interweb. Well, thank you very much, Ina. That's been a, a great session. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the show or any other comments or nuggets of advice you might want to share? Oh gosh, I don't know about nuggets, but I just um I'm really thankful to be here. And you know, if you had told me five years ago that I would be on a podcast talking about mental golf coaching, I would have said get out of town. So um, you know, just follow your passion, whoever whoever's listening, and um, and hopefully, you know, I think passion always tends to shine through no matter who you are, and it takes you to great places. Um, and it so keep at it, whatever you're doing. Terrific. Great. And so what's next for you, Ina? What is next? Uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot to be honest, um, until probably I want to say end of May, um, I'll have a tournament up in North Carolina and then New York. So kind of my tournament season starts a bit later this year than, than normal, but yeah, I'll just, um, I'll go see my family and that's tough because of quarantine and all that. So, um, if I want to see my family next, I'll have to take a full month off I've got a quarantine for two weeks in California before I see them and all that. So, um, it's a big, you know, it's a big deal to try and go see them, unfortunately. Um, so I'll have to do that at some point. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I'll try and do that before the season starts maybe. Um, so I'm not so rusty going into tournaments, but (laughs) at least I can work remotely. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys so yeah. much for having me on. It was so nice to to get to yeah. see you while we do this. I know I know the uh, the listeners don't get to see us, but it's nice to put faces. Yeah, to yes. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for shining a light and providing some insight into the wonderful world of uh, mental performance and uh, mental performance in golf. Because that's uh, unfortunately it's known, I think, but it's kind of like on the periphery a little bit. It still hasn't become. Yeah, it's definitely neglected. Yeah. But the nice thing is, again, like, you know, back in the day, if you want, if you were seeing a sports psychologist, like you would be embarrassed, right. To even be seeing, you know, Oh, I got to see a shrink about this, but now it's like so accepted. It's yeah, like, Oh, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Here, I got five cards. Which one do you want? <laughs> what do you want to see? So, uh, so I think it's good and bad. Right. Um, but I do think that obviously I'm biased because I have benefited so much from it and it's such a passion of mine. And, um, you know, we were at a web tournament, web.com, I guess it's corn fairy now, corn fairy tournament, helping one of our clients last week. And man, the transformation that you get to see is just absolutely incredible. And it's so gratifying. So, um, I just, uh, I'm very lucky to be a That's part of fantastic. this. Wonderful. I can't Wonderful. wait to see your journey. It's going to be cool to see all the great things. Yeah, for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate yes. it guys. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to join. Thank you guys. Take care. Stay warm. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that ladies and gentlemen concludes our show today. Thank you so much for listening to us and downloading our podcast. Again, we couldn't have been able to bring you shows like this if it hadn't been for your support. So thank you very much. 
We look forward to chatting with you again next. And remember, try to keep that golf ball on the short grass. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You are listening to We're Talking Golf, produced by the World of Golf. This episode was recorded on February 24th, 2021. If you have an idea for a future show, please send us an email to info at worldofgolf.org. Please include podcast show in the subject line. This show is the copyright of the world of golf. Thank you for listening.